You're listening to Monocle on Sunday, first broadcast on the 3rd of October 2021 on Monocle 24. Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Coming up on today's program, we have a lovely group of panellists. Emily Isahau is here, Chandra Kurt. And uh, maybe, Emily, we'll start with you. Uh, what's caught your eyes in the papers this morning? Is it going to be Helsing and Sonomat or are we going somewhere else today? Uh, we're going to Stockholm and Oslo because it's that time of the year when all eyes are on Sweden and Norway as they announce the Nobel uh, Prize uh, winners. So I have the latest odds on the Literature Award and the Peace Prize. Very good. We'll be hearing from you a little bit later. Also, very, very special guest here, arrived seven hours late, maybe two years late. Fiona Wilson is here. Good morning, Fiona. Good morning. I can't really believe it is morning because I don't know what time it really is in Japan. But yes, I'm here and very happy to be here. Excellent. Also, well, we'll be talking to you a lot uh, across the program. Also, a very special guest today as well, talking about the grounding of Swiss Air. Plenty ahead, of course. It's the 3rd of October 2021, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brule. And good morning from a rather sort of muggy, a little bit, I would say maybe cloudy Dufostrasse this morning, but things picking up here in Zurich. A lot to get across over the next 58 minutes or so, but uh, we should start with the news headlines. Emma Nelson is also here with them this morning. Everyone is in Zurich today. We've all ali- arrived and ready for a Sunday morning together. It's like walking through the wardrobe in Narnia. Tyler. Indeed. Tell us what's happening across the world today. Thank you very much indeed. Taiwan has sharply criticised the largest aerial military incursion by China in history. Taiwan's Defence Ministry said a record 38 warplanes, including nuclear-capable H-6 bombers, entered the area in two waves on Friday. China's biggest aerial show of force came as Beijing marked its National Day, commemorating the official formation of the People's Republic of China in 1949. There have been widespread protests in Brazil against the President Jair Bolsonaro. The protests were organised by opposition groups to mark exactly a year before the country's next election. Mr Bolsonaro has been widely condemned for his handling of the pandemic. More than 600,000 people have died. And in Targus Anzeiger today, it reports that a technological world first has been presented at Zurich Airport on Friday. It's become the first airport in the world to be equipped with Google Maps Live View. Described as a digital signpost that can be used on a smartphone, you use your mobile phone camera to help you guide you where you need to be in the airport. And those are the headlines on Monocle 24. Back to you, Tyler. Thanks very much, Emma. I'm not sure if we really need any of that guff because the, the thing that I really love about Zurich Airport. And Chandra, good morning, by the way. Good morning. Good morning. morning. I want to bring you in on this because one of the great things that Zurich Airport still has, and we did a story about it some years ago, is they have this incredible battalion of people who still make live announcements in the airport. It's one of the few major airports in the world where they can do it in Portuguese and they can do it in German and French and, of course, all of the official languages here. And I think I love hearing the gongs at the airport. And then when Mr. Rodriguez needs to get to the gate, he's sort of, I wouldn't say it's shamed, he's just being hustled along very politely, which I think is one of the great things about the airport. Yeah, it, it makes it like almost a little old-fashioned that, that you have voices and gongs. And every airport has some gongs in Paris. There's also this other sound system. And I always am afraid I'm happy that they don't call my names when I'm late. So, Yeah, I've heard my name a few times at, uh, at Zurich Airport. We'll be talking a little bit uh, about Zurich Airport and particularly major a major story, which, of course, almost brought this country to its knees uh, 
20 years ago, and this was the grounding of, of, of Swiss Air, and we'll be talking to Michel Comte a little bit later, uh, his grandfather, one of the founders of the airline, but really what it what it meant uh, to, to this country. Um, you came on the, the offspring of, uh, of Swiss Air, Fiona. You arrived uh, from Tokyo, as we said at the start of the show, seven hours uh, late, but you're here, you're here nonetheless. So welcome to, to Dufostrasse. Great to see you this morning. Thank you very much. Very glad to be here. How, how, are, we, how are we feeling? Uh, <laughs> because we should set this up. I mean, you haven't been out of Japan for almost two years now. No, I mean, that's absolutely right. I haven't been out of Japan for nearly two years, like everyone else, uh, uh, I know. Um, and it was quite a strange feeling to leave um, Japan great to be on Swiss. And it was interesting. I found I was accompanied by a, a crowd of Japanese snowboarders. I feel they may be a bit early for the snow, but you can, you can tell me. Well, no, I was actually, I was flying back from Athens the other day and I was actually quite amazed how much snow there is in the Alps. We were coming, you know, we were obviously going westbound and sort of just after sort of Sudtirol, you notice that there'd actually been a, a sort of proper dumping. So I don't know, I mean, maybe, maybe they will, uh, they'll find uh, maybe some deep powder uh, this, uh, this early as well. Um, Emily, speaking of large crowds, uh, you had a whole gaggle of people here uh, yesterday. Uh, <laughs> and, and of course, maybe we, I mean, regular listeners will know that uh, your daily beat is, uh, is conflict resolution. It's not just reading Scandinavian uh, newspapers. <laughs> uh, what's happening up in the mountains? Um, no, exactly. So I, I just feel so energized. Our students are in Zurich in person for the first time since March 2020. So we've spent one week together. Again, we have a group of 21 students from all over the world, mid-career professionals, and we have two more weeks ahead of us. So equally exhausted, but equally excited as well. And uh, maybe just tell us these these students. So people who are in your program, hmm. they're drawn from what types of backgrounds? Is it only corporate? Is it also diplomacy? Where, where are they coming from? Um, so we have a rather diverse student cohort, but we have uh, members of the United Nations, regional organizations, say African Union or the OSCE, foreign service diplomats from a number of countries, including our partner countries of Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, um, and Finland, um, and then civil society as well. And again, it's a global student cohort. So we do have Europeans, um, but we have a big contingency um, from Africa, from Asia, um, from Latin America, and so on and so forth. And speaking of large contingents, Emma, I do have to bring you in here. We, we won't name the company, but you were also involved. Uh, we had, you had a cohort of, of, of global people who were, I would say, viewers this week because yes. you, you you were moderating. I was uh, moderating, this. although I we're still in that really odd sort of halfway house where we can now talk to people a little bit in a room and everybody keeps themselves to themselves in, in a sort of a dose, social distance when we're in front of a camera. But then everyone goes and stands next to each other and gives each other hugs when we're doing the... Um, when we're doing the, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the sort of the, the, the off-air thing. And what we also found was that... Um, Swiss, we, I was up at the Circle, and I don't know if anyone's been, anyone's been well, to the goes, Circle. Well, it goes back to the airport, so this is a, a, a extension, a redevelopment of the airport. They've added two hotels, retail, but I guess the whole idea was also that they would, uh, at the same time, say, well, why not have your headquarters uh, at the airport uh, as well? So a significant development, also by a Japanese architect um, as well. So. Many, it, many links it's beautiful, but it's one of those things that when you arrive at a place and you don't actually have any idea where you are, because you the, the the wonderful efficiency about Switzerland is that everything is there and everything is prepared for you, so you don't need to work out where you need to go. It is there for you. Mm. The best bit about the circle, however, was a, a joyous piece of Swiss engineering that in the middle of this enormous conference centre, I don't know if anyone has seen this, there's a little hill. And this is not a hill that in any other country would, would cause any reaction, but they have built the most beautiful sturdy, 
gorgeous shining steel funicular that goes practically, what, 20 metres up this tiny, <laughs> tiny little hill. I remember I rang you and I was looking at going, Tyler, what is this? What are they doing? And you mentioned something about a sort of a predisposition. I mean, maybe we yeah, could bring anything, in... I was like, anything with an incline, let's either let's a put a tunnel through it or, yeah. or we'll, we'll put a funicular This is like a sort of, of stitched into the Swiss DNA, Chandra, is that right? The hill? Yes. Well, well the hill, but also having a funicular or making a tunnel. No, this is, it, it's part of your... Yeah, it's yeah. The engineering. I think we, we are very world famous in engineering and, and building a funicular to every place, to every hill. So you get all over with public transport. I mean, you're talking to a girl who's just come back from Marble Arch Mound, which is like a, which is like a little bit of old scaffolding that someone stapled some turf to. So I think we've got a, we've got a lot to, we've got a lot to learn from in London. Well, I think also we, we have, uh, I, I think I know one gentleman who's, who scaled uh, the, the top of it. We should tunnel our way, though. Uh, over to London. Uh, Andrew Tuck is uh, with us this morning. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. I feel a bit left out of the party. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, it's, I like, I just, go ahead. No, I didn't say anything. It's just so nice to hear Fiona's voice here in Europe. How, how nice to have you here, Fiona. Thanks so much. I do feel a bit sort of, uh, it's a bit strange. I think not, not being around for so long, you know, everything seems exciting. You know, the minute I came out, I was sort of cheerily greeting the, the lady at immigration. I think she was wondering why I was so happy. <laughs> well, Andrew, here's the crazy thing. So we went out to the airport to, to, to uh, meet Fiona last night and our colleague Nolan Giles uh, was also there. So the flight from Heathrow, the flight from Narita came in side by side. Nolan actually thought I was there to greet him and I was in, I was in full lederhosen as well. So it was all, it was all a little bit uh, bizarre as you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see the pictures of this. this yeah, yeah, this well, we'll, 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 we'll track those down. Andrew, what's making uh, news uh, in, uh, in the UK, or at least uh, your side of the channel this morning? Well, uh, it's the beginning of the, the, the Tory party conference up in Manchester. Now, the reason it's interesting is if you just look at what's happening in the UK and then you look at the, the numbers in the opinion polls this morning, and you can't make head nor tail of what's going on in this nation. So some 59% of people uh, polled in the last couple of days said that they think Brexit is going badly. And that includes over a third of um, all the people who voted leave think it's, it, it's going badly. And there are many stresses in the British economy, not all of them obviously to do with Brexit, but certainly exacerbated by Brexit. But then you look at who they'll vote for if there was an election tomorrow, they'll vote for Boris Johnson. So he, he, the, the, the Tories still far ahead of Labour in the opinion polls. And the Labour Party have just had their, obviously, their, their party conference. Keir Starmer did a pretty good job, got through many, many complicated things, but can just not shift the dial with the masses of British voters. So an extraordinary thing. And just one little snapshot just to explain what life is like here at the moment. Yesterday, my partner was... Uh, up outside of England, uh, outside of London, rather, and up in, uh, up in the Midlands. And um, our conversation, which I think everybody's having this conversation, I was like, do you have enough fuel to get back to London? He says, yeah, I think I've got enough. But um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drive around the town and see if I can find a garage that has got fuel. Now, luckily he did, and he got back to London. Meanwhile, I saw another friend yesterday. He said, oh, look, we've been at an exhibition, an antiques fair, where we, we, we've got tons of stuff there. And we haven't got any diesel in the truck to get the stuff back to the store that we haven't sold. So she was messaging all these people trying to say, have you seen a garage that's got diesel? Eventually she found somewhere late last night. But that, that's the kind of backdrop of daily conversations. Yet people still say they will vote for the Tories. <laughs> Andrew, what is this? Is, well, I mean, listen, of course, we know uh, what the, the last two years or, or almost last two years have, have looked and, and, and felt like. So 
you know, the way you're saying this, it almost feels like there's a bit of just a, a resolve, a sort of a resignation. Well, let's just go find some fuel as opposed to here we have a party conference. And you know, is there sort of a sense of outrage or, or, or disbelief uh, around this? And you know, not that we're sort of expecting, of course, protests at the pumps because people can't even get near them. But you know, do you feel, again, is there some type of upswell of, of emotion and, and anger and or at least some head scratching around this? Well, I don't think anybody thinks it's good, but it just doesn't seem to stick to the, to the government. It's extraordinary. And when you read the, 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 the papers this morning, both on left and right, everyone seems to be in some weird fantasy land. So on the right, they're saying it's really good, actually, potentially, is the, is the, is the, is the, 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 the bottom line of this. It's really good that there aren't enough drivers because what this is doing is it's forcing uh, haulage companies to pay better salaries to drivers. So... We've got rid of all these Europeans who are suppressing wages. Now we're going to have people being paid the correct amount of money. Great, but if it, you get to Christmas, and what they're saying already is there will not be the haulage drivers here, even with a relaxing of some of the rules, to get food into supermarkets for Christmas. And even then, I wonder whether the British will revolt against you know the, the Tories. They just seem to think, oh well, that's one of the one of the things that happens. So it's just so weird that that the, 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 on the right, all these things that would have been a disaster at any other time are now oddly being championed as as, as signs of success. And, and if we swing to the other uh, end, if we go to the to, to the to the left side of the spectrum, what what are we hearing? What are we hearing there? I mean, is yeah, I mean, it's it, it's. Of course, we can sort of consult the pages of, of, of the papers that we know. But um, also, if you sort of uh, think of, of friends and colleagues who might be voting that direction, what's the sentiment? Well, I think on the, on, you know, on the center, on the left, they're, they're pointing out all of these extraordinary things, which is you new know, that because, for example, and, and Christmas is an emotive issue here because we didn't have it last year. We got, it effectively got cancelled because of the need to be uh, locked up at home, not being able to travel around the country. So. Christmas is going to be pretty important, you'd imagine. But because they don't think that they can get meat and poultry from their farms to um, the stores, because they're even concerned about uh, being able to kill animals healthily in, in, or in a, in, a, in a safe way in, in abattoirs, the number of turkeys being reared in this country has dropped by a million this year. So we're going to have to import those from France and from Poland to, to fill in the, in the gaps. So here on the, on the left, people start pointing out that you know, this, is, this should be a disaster, that the logistics chains have broken down. And again, this isn't only to do with Brexit. We know that this is strained all around the world. But they just cannot land a punch. And I think they also, when you look at a paper like The Guardian, they're in a tailspin as well because they, they don't know what to do because Keir Starmer is just not their man. They, they, don't, they don't believe in him. But they know that if you go further to the left and choose somebody who is more outspoken. It might be appealing to their readers, but it's just not going to get the cut through with enough of the voters to get them elected. And we come back to this point, which I've said to you before, TB, it's like, it's 40 years, in the last 40 years, only one person on the Labour side has ever been elected at the polls as Prime Minister, and that's Blair. So it's a tough, tough climb for Labour. And you just um, brought up a point when you mentioned turkeys and um Poor Emma here had uh, her head in her hands. But I was wondering, is there is there a business opportunity made even potentially for Monocle? And t- because Fiona's heading uh, your way tomorrow. Emma's heading back as well. What should they be putting in their suitcases? Or, or should they be getting maybe, should they just Turkey? be getting uh, maybe a, an 18-wheeler and driving it back as well and a license on the way? <laughs> 
Well, maybe you should just be booking your Christmas there, I think, Emma. That would be the easiest thing to do. <laughs> oh, believe know, me, just... Andrew, I've already thought about that. <laughs> you can't I wait to know, come it's... tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it is astonishing, well, though, that's... that actually just stand, stepping outside of the United Kingdom for a few days, you suddenly see how other people see um, the United Kingdom at the minute. Um, and I think people have just got their jaws on the floor and, and, and when you meet people um, even from the person who stamps your passport yes they now stamp your passport when you arrive um, at Zurich airport they say Brexit and they laugh at you and when you go and um, you know I tried to get into a bar a couple of nights ago not only do you need your passport you also have to have um, your COVID vaccination app and the people I were with they all got in but I had to have a paper version because there seems to be some sort of resistance to accepting a, a British uh, a British online app and and Tyler you were wondering whether there was a department of FU in Brussels that was being quietly set up well I was yeah, I was going to maybe ask Emily as well I mean would the EU ever behave like this but yeah, I was with Andrew I mean Andrew we, we were with other colleagues as well in Milan at the Salone a few weeks ago and everyone you know there's there is an NHS app which looks pretty similar with mm. you know, it's a QR code it looks pretty similar to of course uh, what you'd get in any other EU country but somehow the NHS version doesn't work. So, Emily, I'm wondering, is is there just someone who's sort of sitting there? Are there three people? Are there 300 people sitting in Brussels go, let's just tweak these things a little bit just to stu- stuff the UK? Because it, it does seem weird that you, you think you'd want this joined up, but mm. somehow something happens at the at the final post. Yeah, I mean, the cynic could say that this is something like, yeah, it's karma. And then now we're trying to make your life as uh, tricky as possible. But no, I think, I mean, we've had to deal with this uh, with our students coming in from all over the world over the past few weeks. And, and then the current policy for instance in Switzerland is that if your uh, QR code is not from the EU or from Switzerland it just is not synchronized uh, with the Swiss system. In the long term there is a way hopefully to validate your non-EU non-Swiss certificate uh, but currently there's no uh, way to do that at least in the canton of Zurich. They've extended this transition period until I think October 11th um, until when you can still use your paper version as, as you mentioned to get into restaurants to get into museums uh, but thereafter we'll see what happens if it'll be a one day thing or one hour thing or even something quicker just to get your um, QR code validated. Well, well you, Andrew, you should have seen this last night. So you know, Fiona lands, it's flights late. She 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 passes on the, the, the special meal on the flight. Uh, and so, of course, we arrive and, you know, Fiona's now, you know, she's in Zurich with a, a Japanese piece of paper so there's not even there's not even a QR code you know what it's been like when they when they check people going into restaurants here and you know and then there's like there's pepper steak and schnitzel to be eaten and I thought this you know there's a, was a rather burly man at the front door I thought she was going to just just wrestle him or sort of like ride over him with your remova anyway she got through with her with her piece of paper in kanji you'll be happy to hear she's she's looking well fed today as well (laughs) i was not going to be messed with at that point because i was very hungry but no i mean i'm really interested because in japan it's still quite standard to get things on paper so i was really interested when i went to collect my vaccine passport it was just a sheet of a4 which i I promptly photographed because i knew i'd lose it immediately but um you know it's not very robust and obviously there's no connection when you get here i mean i felt a bit sorry i think they didn't want to reject it but it's half in Japanese and they can just see the words Pfizer and they were like, okay, that looks fine. So it's, <laughs> in some ways it's very effective. But is this, you know, this is obviously a big discussion. Of course, uh, new new uh, PM uh, in, in the fold in Japan as well. And we hear all this talk about digitization and of course, probably a lot of the scanners and everything that we use to facilitate, you know, this new world of, of passes that we have, have come from Japanese companies. But yet at the same time, when they talk about, you know, what's happening on the street in Japan, it's not there. And is this part of, 
the call and the thrust that we're seeing, you know, right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a minister for administrative reform, Taro Kono, and he was, I mean, people thought he was going to be the new prime minister. He's He's very outspoken. He's, you know, waging this war on the fax machine. Amazingly, there is still such a battle in Japan. But he didn't win. And what's interesting is it's just, I think it's going to be put on the back burner, that whole discussion. I think people are still quite wedded to paper. Cash, interestingly, COVID has forced Japanese people away from cash a bit, but it's still a very, very much a cash society. Mm. And uh, I, I can hear Andrew unfurling his th- thermal paper now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was some cheering going on in the background in Switzerland, actually. But um, it's interesting, Fiona, when you come to London, because I was talking to Fiona in the week and we were talking about how mask wearing is still prevalent in Japan and people are being very cautious. I went to a birthday party last night here in Soho. It, it, it's, it's completely how it was five years ago. I didn't see a single person in a mask. I went to a venue where somebody was having a big birthday. It was 100 people. Uh, you don't show a pass to get in. None of the staff in the bar were wearing masks. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting. And the numbers are, are actually pretty good here at the moment. <laughs> good for the UK. They, they, they haven't gone up or down really for, for, for weeks. And actually the hospitalizations are, have fallen quite a bit. So it's, 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 it's strange. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens when you get here, Fiona. But nobody is going to be asking for you for your... Once you get past immigration, nobody will ask to see your piece of paper, your any proof of vaccination anywhere. I, I am determined to keep wearing my mask, though. I'm just not ready to give that up. I mean, it's funny, when you walk around the street in Japan, it is, you know, almost 100%, you know, just on the street, people are wearing masks. So I was really interested talking to you this week to hear London is so maskless, but... Um, not for me. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> Let, let's let's move to a moment where we do have to uh, wear our masks, and that, of course, uh, is for the consumption of wine. Um, Andrew, you know how the game goes. Chandra is here. We haven't played this actually for 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 a few weeks. So, uh, Andrew, maybe you want to start off. Um, Chandra has a pen and uh, a note cards uh, at at the ready. It's you know it's the first Sunday of of October. We're moving into a bit of an autumn mood. Is would that sort of maybe affect Andrew the the type of um, bottle you might be looking for for today or across the week? Uh, yes, maybe. But maybe, um, Fiona is coming here uh, tomorrow. So um, Chandra, maybe you could. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, suggest a bottle I could nip out and purchase to make Fiona rather glad that she was uh, in England and, and maybe get her to take her mask off as she tries to sip the glass of wine. I will think about something and give it to her to, so she can bring it to you. Andrew, but we might be, we might be in case territory, though, uh, as, as well. <laughs> well, I've got a very nice case under my desk at this very point, so I, can, <laughs> I know what... <laughs> Good. Uh, OK, Emily, maybe uh, fire away. What, what, uh, what type of... Uh, what are you looking for? What are you in the market? So I'm, I'm thinking about my students at the moment. So international group um, next week, starting tomorrow morning, we're putting them really under duress. They're going to be in a simulation for a full week, either negotiating or mediating. So a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. And at the end of it, of course, we need to celebrate a little bit. So something an international crowd could just use to toast um, each other a little bit and, and kind of celebrate their achievements. Now, here's a question is is also, you know, we, we remember um, we had uh, Peter Maurer uh, at, at our conference in San Maritz this time last year. And he was talking about, of course, the, and we've, we've discussed this before, Emily, as well, the importance of food around the negotiating table and, and probably depending on where you are in the world, maybe alcohol um, as well. Does that also become, because <laughs> these are the soft elements. I mean, you know, here you have people who have to, of course, you know, land a deal, a treaty, yeah. whatever it is. You know, is that also part of it? It can't just be the rational of what's going to be on the contract. And what will the the outcome and the announcement be? Do you also work on the 
the softer elements to get your deal across the yeah. line. 100%. So that's the short answer. So it absolutely matters. Of course, alcohol is very context specific, depending on the region um, and, and culture. But even the way you set up the venue, do you have joint lunches? Is it an informal setting? And then the famous example is, for instance, the Oslo Accords, Israel-Palestine. They're in a cottage outside of Oslo, where they do have lunches together, where they have dinners together. And inevitably, you start building some trust across the table, which hopefully makes then the substantive discussions a bit smoother as well. Fiona, uh, this can obviously be something, maybe it's a family reunion you might have coming up, but uh, t tell Chandra what you're... Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, you know, I'm going to London. I'm doing this terrible thing of surprising my family. They don't know I'm coming. Well, they might be listening. They're not listening. They might be listening uh, now, but anyway, that aside. I'm coming. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'd love to take a bottle of something, you know, maybe to help them recover from the shock, possibly. And are we thinking a Swiss bottle or? or I think Swiss. I mean, the, the bottle of wine, you know, or two last night, I was thoroughly enjoying. I can see because we're not really getting this Swiss wine in Japan. So, yeah, well, I'm, 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 I'm hoping there's some treats going to London as well. Andrew, you know, Fiona arrived. There's like there's two massive suitcases, one of those big porter body bags. There was a big Romova bag as well. We were clattering across tram tracks and everything last night. There, there was the end of the film festival. It was a bit sort of mayhem. And now, anyway, there's, there's a lot of magazines in the office and all kinds of you know different sweeties and Japanese ding-dongs um, for, for, for enjoyment <laughs> later. So you could, you could imagine what it's like. But anyway, hopefully there's, 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 there's going to be some empty space in those bags, obviously, going to over to London. Absolutely. And I did bring a bottle of uh, Japanese wine. So I'm looking forward to uh, Chandra's We review. exchange. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Finally, Emma. I want to know what you drink with a Japanese ding dong. I also have space for one bottle in my case to return to London. I don't mind because no one's driving anywhere at the moment because we haven't got any petrol. So what do I put in my case? Chandra, all pretty clear? Very good, very good. Okay, we'll come back to all of those uh, in uh, in about 25 minutes. Um, Andrew, just before we, we leave you, uh, just uh, tell us, uh, do you have any, 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 fun, any fun stories? I don't know if you uh, reached uh, the red tops of the, pa uh, the red top papers or anything else. Uh, what's uh, from, sort of from the, uh, the other, the other uh, maybe side of the news or media world, uh, anything caught your attention? I mean, I know that uh, we've got Piers Morgan is going to be probably returning to television uh, on, uh, on Mr. Murdoch's new talk TV channel, um, but uh, and anything else at the moment? Uh, well, I can give you the, 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 some exciting... This is, if you read the Daily Mail, these are the ex kind of exciting things you can hear. You can have Sophie Alex Baxter saying, uh, explaining how her, her marriage, even her marriage, was rocked by appearing on Strictly Come Dancing. Strictly Come Dancing is dominating many of the, the headlines. Uh, and that, that's, that's the kind of the froth end of, of what we are. But also there's a very nice picture this morning, Boris Johnson, he's gone running just before the, the Manchester um, uh, conference. And he obviously forgot his running kit. So he's got his shorts on and he's got a dress shirt on. So that, that just kind of cheers you up actually. When you see a man who can't even, he can't even pack his suitcase, but he's able to run the country apparently. Uh, the, the big news here is that uh, Helena Fisher is uh, upset uh, because some, some, someone on, uh, Emma, we were discussing this, it was a very important topic, and we have, you know, as we, of course, uh, like every weekend, we have uh, our, our news uh, meeting the night before, um, you know, always over a few good dishes, and we we're thinking, you know, what, what could we be talking about? And the, the press here is, seems to be dominated by us. Yes, Helena Fisher, of course, you know, the biggest pop star 
you know, the Schlager queen of Germany. Uh, she's she's pregnant, uh, but one of her team leaked it. Uh, so she's very angry. So the, the, it comes across the press that she's not just sort of, you know, angry with the team. She almost sounds like she's angry with her pregnancy as well, but that this was uh, leaked to, uh, to Bill Zeitung. Uh, they picked up the story um, and, and now she had to go out on one of her channels uh, to, to, yeah, I guess kind of scold her team. So I think, I think heads will be rolling um, some, somewhere in Germany today. I must confess, when you said that to me, I think it might have been the only time in the 10 years that I have known you that I gave you a completely blank look. Yes, yeah, so we, so we, and we had to do a bit of a, a, Helena, a Helena Fisher uh, to t- t- tutorial as, to, as well. And as to why we were actually talking about this. But no, she's furious and she's on Instagram and she would have liked to wait a little longer until the news was could have been broken. Yeah, absolutely. So, we, you know, maybe we need to go around and comfort Helena Fisher with um, Chandra. Maybe you could go around with something non-alcoholic. Not possible. For Helena Fisher. For Helena Fisher. Yeah, what's the pregnant? What's the pregnancy diet? The, the pregnancy well, drinking the thing is regime we're going for. Uh, now? You know, look at me. I, I'm not so bad. And my mother lived, uh, you know, the 68 time, and they always had cocktails. So I'm I'm not so much believing not drinking and being pregnant. So I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> espresso martini <laughs> for, for Miss Fisher. And just just before we go uh, over to the news, Andrew, do, do you recall that uh, that evening on um, on Ch- it's maybe one of many evenings on on Chandra's rooftop? And you know that. Chandra also has, you know, there's there's a series of of contemporary pop stars uh, that Chandra's quite uh, quite fond of. So so she, she sent she sent me anything with Cardi B. I know that it's going to come from Chandra. So Chandra, tell us about just and Andrew. I don't know if you missed this or not, but Cardi B has actually got a new. You can't even really call I, it a beverage business. It's it's it, she's in moving into the dairy business. It, I really didn't understand. And the first thing that came to my mind, that Tyler, I presented to Tyler. So Cardi B is launching a cream. Um, like a cream, clotted cream or cream. Well, it's a whipped cream whipped is cream what it's a whipped cream. Infused with vodka. And I really don't know what you do with that. <laughs> Andrew, do you have any thoughts on I that? S- I, I saw this story because they're, they're called whip shots. So whip shots, uh, exactly. Yeah. So what do you do with it's, that? Um, but it's, it's, an, it's a fascinating Andrew, 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 uh, Chandra asked you a question. What do you do with that? She wants to, the lady wants well, to know. I, you and me, Chandra, we watched the video. I, we have a feeling we know what you do with that. <laughs> <laughs> and this on Sunday morning, really. <laughs> Hold on, John. You just, good, you've as, just told as, pregnant as, women to start drinking. I think a little bit. Of, <laughs> my, <laughs> I don't think my advice or my my words are so shocking. <laughs> and we're going to have to to leave it there. But uh, we'll, we're coming back to you a little bit later in the in the program as well for uh, that that drink recommendation uh, for Fiona. Emma Nelson's got the bottom of the hour headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Taiwan has sharply criticised the largest aerial military incursion by China in history. Taiwan's Defence Ministry said a record 38 warplanes, including nuclear-capable H-6 bombers, entered the area in two waves on Friday. There have been widespread protests in Brazil against the President Jair Bolsonaro. The protests were organised by opposition groups to mark exactly a year before the country's next elections. The Swiss papers are full of coverage of the 20th anniversary of the grounding of Swissair. The firm, which had been known as the Flying Bank, collapsed after running out of money. Much of the commentary today says that for many, a piece of home disappeared with the sinking of the airline. And female cabin crew on the Ukrainian low-cost SkyUp airlines are to swap their stiletto heels for trainers after flight attendants complained of being unable to walk after 12 hours in uncomfortable shoes. Although SkyUp is not the first airline in Europe to make the change, it's been seen as marking a radical change for a country with a rather rather traditional dress code. The Quantanamo orange-coloured power suits, however, are going to stay. And there's the headlines. Back to you, Tyler. I mean, I looked at that story as well. I thought, let's not worry about the heels. Let's just worry (laughs) about the orange uniforms first. Because first, I mean, you see orange and you immediately think of EasyJet. Uh, 
but you know, even even you know, they've gone down a better path when it comes to uniforms. But yeah, I mean, these people really look like they're on a direct flight to Cuba. They're an absolute shocker. <laughs> <laughs> absolute shocker. I'd rather. I don't know. I don't, I'm sure be a, a little bit of uh, branding could be helped with here. You, you, I think maybe a call needs to be put in. Indeed, uh, this is. Uh, if, if we look at the news, uh, pa- well, if we look at the newspapers across uh, this country and even over the borders and elsewhere in the world, uh, right now you're uh, almost your, well, your second to last story. Emma was, of course, about uh, touching on the grounding uh, of, of Swiss Air, which happened 20 years ago uh, yesterday. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy to say that it just happens that uh, at this uh, cafe. Amazingly, uh, we we have uh, interesting guests uh, who are who are sometimes close by who also have a connection, of course, to uh, rather rather significant stories. And I'm very happy to say that uh, Michel Comte uh, is here, the artist and and photographer, um, who has a very powerful and strong connection, of course, to the airline. Michel, good morning, by the way. Good morning. Uh, it's very funny you mentioned 20 years ago. Uh, 20 years ago today, I flew in from New York. To uh, to celebrate uh, my uh, my grandfather's uh, connection to Swissair and uh, his first flight uh, uh, passenger flight uh, from St. Moritz to London and the anniversary and uh, his plane was uh, at the airport so he could go flying on the first actually Swissair plane and that day my father who was supposed to pilot the plane the plane was not insured because Swissair was in default and it was the end as of Swissair as we knew it and this happened 20 years ago to the day today and uh, I just remember uh, this was supposed to be a big celebration and it was really a dark dark day and uh, it's really like a minute ago in my mind. Just uh, tell me that that feeling, because you, of course, uh, you were based all over the world. You were, you know, flying uh, Air France a lot. And we discussed your time on, on Concorde. But, I, came, but- I came on Concorde and I Concorde and connected to Zurich and left the same night back to LA again. Tell me, maybe if you, if you look back 25 years ago, Michelle, uh, when we think about Swiss Air uh, as this iconic brand, many, many people said it was really the first luxury airline in the world. People often also referred to Swiss Air as the flying bank uh, as well, and the relationship that it had with this country and the rest of the world. What did it mean to you? Because as you said as well, your, your grandfather was also one of the founders of the airline. Well, I think uh, it also uh, what you're saying uh, greatly resonates in my mind because when Swissair was expanding and one of the last things I heard from my grandfather, never, never follow any other people when you do something. Follow your instinct. Switzerland is a small country. It will never be able to compete with a global alliance. And this is something that my grandfather really, really wanted and uh, I think it was uh, to his very great discontent that Swissair was not or was not supposed to be that precious. Not that he it needed to be precious, but it was all about quality and about uh, an experience, you know. And he was extremely contemporary and extremely modern and ahead of his time and he felt 
we needed the world. He flew on Singapore, he flew on uh, Dell, like you, and he said the only other airline of another island like Switzerland was, was Japan Airline. And that also had the kind of service where really you could almost get a massage on your hands. It was the same kind of catering as Swiss. And uh, so we know, we know the rest, you know. And uh, when when I reboarded Swiss Air on, on Lufthansa, they didn't even have my history in the computer anymore. I was nobody. Not that I was of any importance, but this is how things were. And I think you, have, you might have the same experience. Uh, Chandra, maybe I just want to bring you in as well. Of, of course, uh, yeah, that if you look back at October 2nd uh, and... Uh, 20 years ago, what, what was that feeling? Was a sense of sort of disbelief? Because I, I just, I mean, I remember reading, just seeing that as, as a news story that suddenly this fleet was grounded around the world. It was just, it was, it was unbelievable that it happened. No, it, it, I think it was the deepest shock that could happen to this country. And it was just, you know, a month after 9-11. So you, everybody was 9-11, but then Swissair happened. And I think it was almost worse for us as a country that this strong brand can disappear. It was like an untouchable brand and suddenly it was gone. And when and and I think we can all recall there was this this period of of sort of again sort of suspended sort of disbelief. Um, what was this going to fly again? What was it going to be called? How was it going to to resurrect itself? All of those things uh, that that were happening at at the same time and many, many question marks. Uh, but it's been interesting actually looking at the papers today. Um, they did a, a report card. I mean, you, you were talking about what was happening, of course, over at the at the at the airport, and and there's a good piece in the NZZ which sort of does this uh, yeah analysis like where are we now 20 years on? Is it really that much worse? And it is interesting. It says that actually at, at the time Swiss flew to or Swiss Air flew to 125 places around the world. Now Swiss flies to over 100 even sort of in a, as they sort of rebuild in this in this post uh, pan, pandemic world. But Michelle, I want to ask you, how is your feeling when you look at the airline now? And of course, full disclosure, of course, we were very much part of part of this as well. The relaunch of the new airline. Um, but when you look at how it's rebuilt itself, uh, do you feel still proud or Lots of work to be done. What's your what's your sense of things? I mean, you feel proud, yes, because it's it is Swiss, and uh, you did uh, just by the way you did an incredible uh, job on rebranding it, keeping it exactly the way it was in to the outside. But what I think is extremely lacking in Swiss and and Lufthansa as their group is. Uh, a real room for the business traveler. There is no, there is not enough uh, for us that are on a plane all the time. And I think business travel will be in the future the most important segment uh, in, in aviation. And the business traveler is owed more than what we get at Swiss right now and most airlines in the world. Uh, the ones that really are, have succeeded is Emirates, Qatar, uh, Singapore, that almost like whole business class airplanes. And I think for people like us, that we are, we are mostly traveling probably on in first, but sometimes there is really a incredible need economically as well, that we can fly in an incredible business class, get off the plane and feel good. Mm. And this is not what's happening today. Mm. This is uh, 
one of the biggest improvement and check-in lounges. They are improving a little bit, but then when you get on the plane, it's a disaster. Uh, Michelle Comte, uh, artist, photographer, uh, regular uh, as well, part of uh, the family here uh, at Dufostas and Annie. Really, really fantastic to talk to you. Uh, you're listening to Monocle on Sunday. It's just uh, coming up to 10.40 here in Zurich. We're going away for a short break. We're back after this. It's never been more important to stay focused on the bigger picture, and Monocle has been doing exactly that since 2007. If you're missing your favourite haunts or the chance to travel to new ones, then subscribe to Monocle today and we'll deliver the best discoveries and exciting finds straight to you. Monocle brings big ideas, stories of opportunity and plenty of optimism direct to your door, whether you opt for a digital subscription or select one of our print and digital packages. As well as fresh ideas on business, culture, design and much, much more, we guarantee a global perspective and unrivaled insights into current affairs. When you subscribe, you'll get a 10% discount in our shops and online, and of course, a free limited edition tote bag too. As well as 10 issues of the magazine, you'll also receive our annual specials. For a limited time, there's also 20% off with the code RADIO21. Visit monocle.com and subscribe today. You're back with Monocle on Sunday. We're live in Zurich uh, with many, many uh, familiar, happy faces uh, around the table here. Uh, Emily, at the start of the show, uh, in the the menu, you were talking about, uh, of course, uh, announcements uh, coming up uh, out of uh, both Oslo and Stockholm uh, around the Nobel Prizes uh, for, for this autumn. What do you have for us? That's right. So um, the order in which they'll be announced starting tomorrow on Monday is medicine. Then we'll go to physics, chemistry, literature uh, and peace. And, and, and then the week after um, the Memorial Prize in Economy as well. And I do want to focus on the Peace Prize. But since Fiona is here, I have to mention that the favorite um, to win the uh, Nobel Prize in Literature this year is Haruki Murakami of Japan, of course. Um, and then he really is the one to beat this year, apparently. But, but let's see, you never know with these prizes and uh, who was actually going to be awarded the prize at the end. Um, but I, I, I'm sure you'll be happy about that. Just, yeah. I was just going to, just before we jump to the other, other prizes, how will this be, I mean, if, be received internationally if this, if, if there is this sort of level, level of rec- recognition? Because sometimes I always think what's interesting, you know, you have a lot of things which export and do well, uh, you know, out of Japan as, as Japanese products sometimes and, 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 and personalities and everything else. And, uh, and sometimes things resonate differently at home. But if we think about uh, someone like Murakami, uh, what would this mean? I mean, it just means so much. I think he's been talked of as a, a contender. I mean, it sounds like he's really the favourite this, this time, but... Um, I think there's been a bit of disappointment maybe in the last few years that he hasn't won. And um, we were just talking about this, Emily. I, I saw Murakami about 10 days ago. He He's just given his archive to Wasada University, his alma mater, and Kengo Kuma has built this beautiful library for him. And I think there's a feeling of he's not at the end of his career, far from it. But, you know, really it's important for Japan to celebrate a writer of that kind of stature. And the whole thing was being paid for by Tatashi Yana. Yanai, who's the owner of uh, Uniqlo, multi-billionaire. And it turned out that he and Murakami uh, were at Waseda at the same moment in 1969. They didn't know each other, but, um, you know, and Yanai talked about that. He said, really, Japan is not doing a great job of celebrating its success. So he wanted to, to help. So 
I'm very partisan here. I'm rooting for Murakami. Yeah, well, everyone's also waiting you know, here for Yunai-san as well, because you know, I think we, we told you that they, they said that finally that uh, Uniqlo is going to to come to Switzerland. Uh, so we're, we're waiting to see uh, where, where that might happen. But there's not a Nobel Prize uh, for retail, at least not yet. Um, but what, what else are, are, are we looking at? <laughs> yeah, and so we'll find out on Thursday, Fiona. And I should note the other contender, apparently one of the favorites is Anne Carson, the Canadian poet as well. Um, so for you, Tyler. But uh, on to the Peace Prize. So um, we'll be announced next Friday. Um, and a few, I would say, clusters of potential um, winners. So COVID uh, is, of course, the theme of the year and then one of the and actually the uh, with the best odds to win is is the World Health Organization. I think the one um, argument going against the WHO is that it was the World Food Program that got the award last year. So whether two UN agencies would be awarded consecutively is a question mark. Um, climate change is a bit uh, another big theme um, with Greta Thunberg, um, of course, being one of the uh, favorites again uh, many years in a row, but also the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. Um, then I would say third category is is, is um, democracy and a number of different countries where you have individuals. Um, so, for instance, from Belarus, we have Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya, um, Alexei Navalny um, from Russia, and, and then Nathan Law um, from Hong Kong, having been listed as potential um, winners. And then finally, you, as always, uh, with the Nobel Peace Prize, you never know. You have a, host, um, a whole mix of perhaps random or wild cards, everyone from Bill Cates to Joe Biden to Jacinda um, Ardern. Um, so we'll need to see uh, until uh, next Friday who's going to win this time. Uh, just uh, tell me uh, your, your thoughts, uh, Emily, on the importance, certainly when, I, when we think about the world, that you come from the world of, of diplomacy uh, as, as well. Is, is this an organization that is still seen as, as upstanding? Do we still need the symbolism uh, at the end of a year like this or, or any other year for this type mm. of, of recognition? And maybe what it also means from a soft power perspective to those Nordic countries as well. Um, so my personal uh, take on it would be, that, I mean, we celebrate so many bad things in this world, so why not celebrate something good? So I think uh, rewarding um, good literature, uh, great research, uh, efforts to advance peace, absolutely, I think it's worth it. And of course, from a South Power perspective for both Sweden and Norway, it's excellent. I think uh, with the Peace Prize in particular, it does become relatively politicized. And we've seen this uh, with Abiy Ahmed, with Obama, with other kind of high level politicians being awarded, perhaps slightly too soon even, uh, some would argue. Um, so that's, I think, the biggest um, question when it comes to Nobel Peace Prize, whether you support um, candidates who have done work over the course of years, if not decades, say the World Health Organization, or really um, something that was done in the last 365 days. Mm. Uh, of course, you know that I'm going to, uh, we've, we've, we've done the serious side of things. Now, I always want you to uh, maybe, you know, scan one of the odd regional papers in Finland uh, or, or somewhere <laughs> on the other side of the Baltic, uh, if, you, if you've come across uh, maybe anything uh, more, more spicy and interesting um, uh, in, in, uh, in, any, in any of the papers. <laughs> so the spices I can offer is from Helsingin Sanomat actually this morning, and, and it has to do with our Prime Minister Sanna Marin. So uh, Helsingin Sanna really dissected her Instagram profile this morning. And then the argument being, because um, society is opening up, bars and restaurants are open, there's no mask requirement anymore. And apparently this is shown on, on her Instagram as well, that she is going out, meeting famous people, um, enjoying her life as well. Uh, but actually they analyzed it, that it's still mostly substance, on, on even on her Instagram. But they argue that she's trying to portray 
slightly more of a personable, slightly more of an approachable um, image. Whereas during the height of the pandemic, she was really stern, always dressed in black, um, and then really on point uh, when it comes to substance. But now she's being a bit more, I don't know, a bit more fun on social media as well. I'm just wondering. I mean, Fiona, jump in if you want. Is this is this is this one of the spin doctors on her team calling up Helsing and Sonamat on a Thursday afternoon saying, well, you know, the papers may not be that busy this weekend. Let's go look at her Instagram feed. You looking at him, just wondering, did, did, how, how did this read to you? So they actually analyzed this as well. Is it a spin doctor? Is it really her? Um, and at least according to Helsing and Sonamat, it's genuinely her. And then really just kind of sharing snaps of, you know, when she's go, uh, going to the uh, playground with her child or um, going to a bar with a friend. Um, so according to the newspaper, it's all genuine. But of course, um, I know, I I think know. I'm seeing Fiona reaching for her bucket of <laughs> bucket of water over there. Fiona. <laughs> Do you know what I, I'm thinking about? Fumio Kishida, Japan's new prime minister, just just elected uh, last week, and he is not a man for Instagram or social media. He's very much the old school LDP politician, and I felt a bit sorry for him. The day after his victory, he you know, he has to put up a picture on Twitter of what he ate that night, which is okonomiyaki. It's the favourite dish from his constituency, Hiroshima, and I just felt. Somebody had said to him, can you try and share more human side? Because people feel he's a bit, a bit uncharismatic, to be polite. Um, you know, he's very sort of safe. And, and so you, you had a dish. And if you know anything about okonomiyaki, it's probably the least photogenic Japanese food imaginable. <laughs> it pretty much looks like someone's thrown up on a plate. Yeah, on, thought, on, a, on a big frying pan. Exactly. <laughs> and then put brown sauce over it. So I thought it kind of works. But at the same time, it worked at home. It worked domestically. But I, I did feel it was a bit trying a bit too hard, you know. And he's not like Taro Connor, his his rival in that election has over two million followers on Twitter and he's got the game sorted and Well that's what I was going to ask is it is is there this great divide? And then, you know, in between all of this, of course, you know, we know the power mm. of of course of political PR firms uh as well. But do we you know do do you see people organically emerging, Fiona, uh, with you know within this space uh, or or does it most of it feel a little bit contrived on the part of the, the politicians. Oh, I mean, understatement. You know, if you've ever seen, well, why would you, you know, but if you had nothing better to do than watch uh, Shinzo Abe's at-home video during COVID, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it, there are no words. Please go and look at it. Somehow he'd acquired a dog, which I don't believe was his. because Excuse the dog me, was you, you acquired at... a dog as well, <laughs> I, I should say. So. And he was sitting at home, you know, with the remote control. I mean, it was just agony with someone strumming a guitar absolutely randomly. So... That got so many hits and in a funny way it worked because people were just like gobsmacked by this thing. Um, but it was very unnatural, absolutely clunky. So no, it has not taken off, I would say, mostly in Japan, this mm. this sort of social media aspect of politics. No, and I, what I find interesting and then also give uh, Sana Marin a voice as well. So she was also interviewed for this article. Um, and then I think the point she was trying to make is to think about the audience. So is it really her constituency in Finland or is it the global audience? And they had looked at the comments on her posts and primarily they're in English uh, from a foreign audience. So it really, she said she also does is to portray an image of a young mother as a prime minister um, doing a, a good job. So in a way, her audience on social media is less her constituency in Finland, in a way, trying to buy votes or convince voters, but rather 
represent Finland um, internationally as well. Mm. Chandra, I can see you trying to process all of this. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I'm, one, I'm wondering, <laughs> Chandra sort of looking off in the distance, I think you were trying to sort of imagine this politician uh, portraying this story. Do, do we do we care uh, or do we only care about the policy or, or are you, or are you yeah. only concerned on that side what Cardi B is up to? No, this, the thing is my problem is really like I didn't know once what was a ping and I really don't understand Instagram. I, I try to look at it. You know, I have a lot of friends that do it. I don't understand it and I don't know why you should be busy posting all the time because it's out of context and usually I love things that build up to a context or a network or something so I'm really don't I don't understand it. But are, are you left on the outside now because I would imagine that the world of Instagram is probably incredibly important to the world of wine. You know yes and no for example we have a rule that after the second bottle everybody shouldn't touch that iPhone anymore because you don't know what you post so so I, I will also not disclose everything I drink and where I go so I think you know I prefer the privacy. And I was actually, this is, I mean, we've, we've talked about this notion of, of mystery quite a bit. I mean, there, there is also, I think, a component of, of probably mystery around wine as well. I mean, it's a little bit like we saw in Greece. I mean, you try to get, you know, an, an Athenian to say, what's your favorite island to go to? They're not going to tell you. I mean, they're going to say all of the places that, you know, package tourists go to direct nonstop, but they're never going to tell you that probably. No, that this, this was actually a very interesting um, discussion. We, you know, we tried to find out what, what island to go. And then they always said, what do you want? Do you want an island? To for for uh, for relaxing, you want an island for sunshine. You want an island for meditation. You want an island for to be alone or people to speak with donkeys. I know it was really <laughs> very interesting discussion. <laughs> uh, let's. Um, uh, that was a great segue about speaking to donkeys. Andrew, are you there? Thank you very much, Tyler. That's that's well <laughs> even for you. I at least you didn't say. Uh, now we're going to cross over to, uh, to a big ass, and that's fine. Well, no, or, well, or maybe a, a clippity cloppity goat as well. I, I heard. Uh, <laughs> well, I am a Capricorn, and a goat. I like, I like a goatsy. A goat is sure-footed. You, you, a goat is not going to fall off the hill. It's, it's kind of he it, knows where he's going. Well, especially in Greece as well. Not I mean, well, in many places, it's not going to also fall out of the tree as well. And I, I've. I've you see goats in trees, but I've never seen a goat scaling into it. So you sort of, sort of wonder, sort of, does something happen? Is there a drone or something that sort of airlifts them in, maybe just for an Instagram moment? But Andrew, I want to just go to, to Chandra's point um, as well. What do you think about that rule? Don't reach for your phone after the second bottle. Well, I think it's very, very good advice because it's still extraordinary, isn't it, when you see all of these kind of things resurfacing, what people have said in the past. And, and you just think, why do people just not pause for a few moments and reflect you know, what that would look like, at, you know, not only tomorrow, but in a year's time? So I think it's, it's very wise advice. Okay, so Chandra, you uh, you have uh, you've been scribbling away on on uh, your various documents uh, over there. Why don't we start actually with um, with Andrew? So Andrew, uh, just remind our listeners uh, what what's uh, what was the brief to Chandra? Well, it, it, either I I rustle something up in London, and as you said, I do have quite a lot of wine under my desk at the moment, or Fiona brings me something from Switzerland so we can celebrate her her return to Europe. So I'm, I'm using this moment a little bit as a as a Swiss moment, and all of you become the Swiss ambassadors for Swiss wine, or the, the international ambassador for Swiss wines. So I think Fiona will bring you over a wine uh, because I I look at you as a rather intellectual person. Uh, it's from an intellectual winemaker from the Bielersee, and it's a, it's a blanc Schiller orange. So it's a very complicated wine. It's a blend of of Chasselas, Chardonnay, and Pinot Gris. And you know, orange wine is natural wine, so it it will keep you thinking what you drink because you don't understand it. Uh, of I think you need two glasses at least. Andrew, that, well, that sounds amazing. But I just can we just decode what's happening here very quickly, uh, listeners? So wait, so 
Fiori, you're buying the wine to to bring it over to Andrew, <laughs> and he's and he's just pouring it because I'm just wondering who's getting the expense report for this. That, that's my, that's my only question. Andrew, are you picking up the bill? Though? Can Fiona give you the receipt? That's what I want to know. I'm very happy to pick up the bill. Can I just explain there, Tyler, also what happened? This is why I love Chandra. You compared me to a goat. She compared me to an insect. <laughs> Chandra. I know, it was, it, was, that, that was, it, was, it was amazing. And of course, you know, we've been talking before we went on air, Andrew, about Swiss diplomacy. So I, I, say, I say Chandra for ambassador, don't you? Uh, I, I would very much like to see her in that role. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Emma, we'll, go, we'll, uh, we'll jump over to you. So, Emma, we stay with Switzerland and... Um, you know, I have to also be an ambassador for the, our main grape, so I take the Chasla. And, and for me, the most energetic and, and lively one is from is the Fondant from the Valais. So I will recommend you a, an Alpine grape, a fresh wine. The good thing about this is you will drink it in no time. You open it, chilled, and it will be finished. So You know me already. I mean, you had Fiona as intellectual. You have me as speedy. I had Andrew as intellectual. Fiona is the, is the transporter. She's the... Sorry, Fiona, you've just been downgraded. <laughs> you're a haulier, a haulier. So I, mean, I just drink fast. You, <laughs> I thought the, the domain from Jean-Denis Monnier from Balabo, they have a very nice Fondant Premier crew. I will suggest that one. Thank you. Fiona, over, oh, you, just Fiona. An, as a reminder, this is something for, for the family. This is the, the surprise yeah. bottle. The surprise. So, celebration. So, so a surprise, you know, we go, again, a Swiss wine, neutral wines, you don't uh, you do not do anything wrong. Uh, I will go to the very important region, the, the Grison, the Pinder Herrschaft, the mountain area. This, the wines are always sold out. So if you bring one, means you thought about it, you cared about it. And the Pinot Noir from, I would say, the family Donatsch, they are the most uh, res- looked after right now. So if you bring something like this, they will all already be happy. Good. Please write that down for me. <laughs> and finally, uh, Emily, you have uh, all of your students gathered uh, from around the world, seeing themselves, you know, all seeing each other for the first time in 18 months or so. And so you are looking for something celebratory, right? Exactly. So we'll have a busy week ahead of us. So at the end of the week, once they've done a great job mediating or negotiating something just to toast and celebrate one another. So and because you're an international group, you know, not everybody drinks white or red. So we do both. We do a white and a red and we do an international grape and a local grape. So you can really show a little bit what, what is done in Switzerland. I will take from Ticino and Merlot because they are very festive. They are they're rich and, and, and they are relaxing after a long day. So maybe from the family Delea. And then because you're in Zurich here, take a Reuschling from the lake. It's a local grape. It's fresh, crisp, and, and it tells the story of the lake. Sounds perfect. I'm just hoping my, our students are not listening, so the expectations don't go too high. <laughs> um, I, and I should say that um, yeah, Emma and, and Fiona enjoyed a, a festive Merlot uh, last night from from Ticino, from Bianco Rovere, which was which it's was the preview, very nice, which is very yeah. nice. It was such a surprise. Andrew, just just before we go, what, what's happening in our world this week? We haven't talked a lot about the book of entrepreneurs, which looks amazing, by the way. But uh, what's what's on the horizon in uh, in forty seconds or less? Uh, we're sending the November issue to print. You're going to file your last bit of copy. I knew and that was coming. Go off, off tomorrow. <laughs> and then we're, then we're diving straight into the forecast issue. And, as you say, and the new book of entrepreneurs is, is the first copies are in. You can order your copy at monocle.com. And it's, it's the perfect gift for anybody running or, or who wants to start a business. No, and it's it's a very very handsome, very very dense volume, and and we haven't even done a, a post mortem uh, on that, but it uh, it looks absolutely uh, fantastic. Andrew, have a very nice uh, Sunday, and uh, huge thanks to everybody uh, here as well. Uh, Desiree Bentley, uh, of course, uh, our engineer here, and of course Nora Hall over in London, and big thanks to Chandra Kurt and Emily Sow and Fiona Wilson, also Emma Nelson. Emma Nelson, you'll be back, of course, with the news headlines, I believe, in a few minutes. If I don't sort of knock my head off uh, here as well, uh, I'm Tyler Brule. Um, 
Monocle on Sunday is back next week. Emma, you're going to be doing, we're off in Portugal next week, but we'll be dipping in, I think, from Cascais or somewhere else. Have a very good Sunday. Goodbye.